Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word today. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We are called to guard your word, and when the deceivers plot against us, keep us focused in the light and truth of your holy word. We ask that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts acceptable to you for the sake of your Son, Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. Our text today is, begins with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, through chapter 4, beginning or ending with verse 6. Let us hear God's word today. <clears throat> but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For, it was, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end that was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until, until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But if even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, after being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we did not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now as we hear that passage, it seems rather long, and we're not going to take it apart word by word here today. But there's a theme. We see light we hear, heard the word glory and glorious so many times, we started to say, man, this is going to be so far out there, I have no idea where we're going. But let us remember this. Today is Reformation Sunday. Just over five centuries ago, the Lord brought, by His grace and providence, the light of the Reformation. When an unknown Christian monk nailed his 95 Thesis to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. This monk, Martin Luther, 
chose October 31st as the date that he would nail his thesis to the door. Why did he do that? Because he knew that November 1st, everyone in the town would be coming to church. They were coming for All Saints Day so that they could pause and remember the saints of God who came before them and who some were of great name and some were their parents and grandparents and their ancestors in that very town. This document that he nailed to the door brought the light of the gospel of Christ into direct conflict with the darkness of the corrupted false gospel of works that was ruling the church of the day. These deceivers taught salvation wasn't by Christ's atoning work, but rather by works attained with monies and indulgences. The evil and dark, dark and false doctrines were preached in the churches while God's word was neglected or simply ignored by not even being part of the sermon. Darkness and all types of sin were celebrated and excused in the church. God did not simply start anew, but, he rather, but rather He called His people to reformation. God brought reformation to the church by returning the church to the Bible. And when they did that, that brought repentance. The tap, tap, tap of the nailing of Martin Luther's notice to the church door brought the light of the gospel, the light of the reformation brought about more than 2,600 churches, faithful churches, being planted in Europe in just 15 years. We pray for churches here every Sunday that the Lord would bless them. We should desire for the light of Christ to bring reformation to our church and to the churches all around the world. May we reflect the light of Christ. May the church reflect, reflect the light of Christ. May we be conformed to Christ and see faithful churches planted in Maryland and across the nation and to the very ends of the earth. Light is the outworking of God's glory. Glory reflected in His image and His image bearers. All men are made in God's image. Some reflect nothing of God. Some outright suppress anything of God. And some strive to create their own light by building up their own glory. Our passage today speaks of the fading glory of the law, which does not bring life, but brings condemnation. In verse 7 it says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look <clears throat> steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? Now Paul here, when he's writing to the church of Corinth, and if you remember, the church of Corinth from 1 Corinthians, they were a church that was established by Paul and others, and many other pastors and <clears throat> folks of the church came and baptized many, we know that, but they were having all kinds of trouble. There was all kinds of sin going on there. And it's interesting, when you look at all these epistles, what do they do? There's all this doctrine, but there's all this call to repentance. There's all this assurance in Christ, but there's this call of repentance. And Paul here, he references Moses and Israel. And we know Israel, what happened? God brought His Word, and they rebelled. 
Here, Paul is referencing from Exodus 34, where we see that Moses' face radiates the glory of God from being in God's presence. Verse 29, what happens? The people are afraid. Verse 30, Moses speaks God's word to the people, unveiled, and then veils his face when not proclaiming the words of God. Verse 33, and then when he goes back into God's presence, he takes the veil off. Verse 34, Moses' reflection of God's glory becomes veiled to the people. They were afraid to embrace God and His Word. We saw the very same thing when the people of God were at Sinai, where the glory of God comes, God is speaking, and they're afraid. They said, don't, no, 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 not us. We'll stand over here, and Moses, you go talk to God. But we do see that there was condemnation in the law that was given. And we know that the ministry of Christ exceeds much more in glory. The law was written on stone and was God's glorious truth. But simply written on stone, the law could not save. In fact, it showed the failings of men by exposing the sin in their hearts. So much so that we see in Deuteronomy 27... Verse 26, it says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Man, it's right there. So it says, Cursed is the one who doesn't conform to all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Do we feel, do we feel like we can do that? It is good to have God's law, but in our own, simply on our stony hearts, <clears throat> we cannot meet that expectation. God spoke the law of the covenant to his people and provided the grace of truth of their sin. <clears throat> when God exposes our sin, it is a grace. It is God's goodness when he exposes sin. But rather than fall before God, clinging to the mercy of God by believing God for His promised grace and future covering of all their sin through His Son's coming, they clung to their sin. We also see in Romans chapter 7, it says this, But sin, taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. People of God, when we hear God's word, when we hear how we are to live, how we are to act, we can't manage that. It brings death. It brings hopelessness. We must cling to Christ. There is only deliverance of sin by Jesus' coming, his death, resurrection, and ascension. Law alone cannot deliver, but it does show our sinful hearts. Romans 8.3 tells, tells us this, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Instead, we need the commandments, not our own stony hearts. If God's law is just stone and rigid, and it is written to a stony heart, it does nothing. But rather, we need, as it says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. We need God alone to give us a new heart, not of stone, but a heart of flesh. And then, by the work of His Spirit, we can walk in His statutes and judgments. We see, again, that we can follow His law when He changes us and gives us a new heart. It's echoed again in Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, that is, at the time of Christ's coming in the new covenant, says Yahweh, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We must receive by the work of Christ alone a new heart, and our minds will be renewed. Romans 12. And the law will be upon our hearts, and He will be our God, and we will be His people. And yet, we still see around us people whose eyes are veiled. They cannot understand or see what the Bible is talking about, no matter what arguments that are brought to them. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says this, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, Moses was not trying to hide his special glory because it faded between times with God. Remember, God, remember Moses gains the light of the glory of God by being in God's presence. And when he speaks to the people of Israel the words of God, he speaks to them unveiled, but only veils when he is not speaking to the people. Why? Because we see that this glory, just like John the Baptist speaks of in John 3, verse 30, he, that's Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthy and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Moses veiled as a separation of God's glory because the people were afraid, just like they were afraid at Sinai in God's presence. The glory on Moses' face was so bright and the hearts of Israel were so dark. The veil continues to be blindness to people who may know the law but are not in Christ. They see the great moralism that comes from what they call the Judeo-Christian values. Some people desire the structure and the goodness of God's law, but not Christ Jesus. They want to work out good in the world by their own human strength. Thus, 
becoming their own little gods. It's like a business owner who likes the faithfulness and honesty of Christian workers, but rejects Jesus for themselves. In the new covenant in Christ Jesus, we have a new heart of flesh in Christ, and we are all greater than Moses, receiving the law and instruction from God. We are now face-to-face with God's glory, and we can use boldness of speech. We see, though, that there is still blindness. Verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The law and all the Old Testament are veiled when they are separated from Christ. We must have a new heart of flesh in Christ. Otherwise, we are simply dead in our trespasses. When we add to Christ Jesus as the only mediator and the final sacrifice for sin, we are veiled and in darkness. But in Christ, we are transformed from glory to glory. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In Christ Jesus, the Lord, in Christ Jesus the Lord, there is new life. When we are dead in our sins, the law condemned us, and we were in bondage and fear. Now, with a new heart in Christ, we have confidence and liberty. As far as the law is concerned, this does not mean to someone to take it. Ah, now I don't have to pay attention. No, we understand that there is liberty. There is a lifting of, of the, the heavy weight of fear and condemnation about the law. We are to, to do what God tells us to do and follow his word, but we are no longer condemned. So the liberty is freedom, it's joy, it's happiness, it's peace about all those sins and failures that you have before God Almighty, because we are justified in Christ Jesus. Verse 18 tells us this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here we go again. It's talking about this stuff that seems really mysterious. We're transformed from glory to glory. But what does this mean? Remember, how is it that Moses' face shone? He went into the presence of God. We too, because of the grace of Christ Jesus, enter into the presence of God in this very place right now. Because Christ did come, live, die, was resurrected and ascended. The veil was torn and now we have access to God's presence. We are here in his presence even now. God is speaking to us just as he did with Moses. God has forgiven us. He is giving us his words and is changing us. That is, conforming us to Christ. We are as God's people together by this transformation that God is doing, reflecting God's glory. When we reflect this glory to another, Through how God has transformed us, we bring His light. How do we do this? 
as God has forgiven us, we forgive others. As God is long-suffering with us, we reflect this glory to each other. Now, we could go into that in great detail. But understand this. When we come into the presence of God here and we confess our sins and He forgives us, and we come into His presence and we hear His Word, read and sung and preached, we are being transformed. To what end? So we can rigidly just do the law? Or so that we can show the liberty that God gives us? He's forgiven us. Are we forgiving others? Are we holding on to things? Are we long-suffering with others? Or, or do we look at the challenges of the relationships before us and look at it and hold on to it and cling to us? God speaks to us to change us, that we will share His glory with others. At confession, He forgives us and lets our sins go for Christ's sake. During consecration, that part of the service, that is again the reading, singing, and preaching of God's Word, we are to let go of the sins that we cling to. And we are to let go of the sins that others have committed against us. We can hold nothing back. No offense or sin against God or others. We can leave nothing reserved that we have not surrendered to God. Even in our tithes, these are testimonies that all I am is God's. And that tithe and those offerings we give represent all the work and all that we do. It's representative. It isn't just about funding the church and paying the pastor and keeping the lights on. That isn't even the point. The point is that tie, those offerings that we give, this is representative of all that you've done all this week. Every man, woman, and child. This is why, parents, it's good. Have your kids do a little work. Make sure they pay a tithe. If it's just a dime, pay the tithe. Teach them and tell them this represents everything you've done this week. And you're giving it to God. Hold nothing back. He says this in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame by not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. We do, by the mercies of God, have a ministry to reflect God's glory, His light to one another. And we are not to lose heart. We are not to be discouraged because we have received mercy. Because God has forgiven you, you don't be discouraged. He will provide. We should repent and renounce our sins and again forgive others. We are not to walk with our justification in mind by being crafty and cunning and full of false wisdom. We are not to use God's word to ensnare or corrupt others. The light that God gives us, His glory that reflects in us, is to bring glory to Christ Jesus and our Father in heaven. 
We do not obey God for our glory, but rather so that we look good to others. But, but what we, you know, we do that. We'll do things, and, and listen, your, your preacher gets caught up in this sometimes, right? Oh, I got to do this because, you know, I set the standard and all this, and I don't want anyone to think less of me. No, that's wrong, Right? What I need to do and what all of us need to do is make sure that what we are doing is for God's glory. As it says in Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men. That is what God has done reflecting through you. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are not a pious. We're not to be pious and holy for the world to see us. That is a false gospel. This is exactly what we see happening in our hearts. What we are to do is to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that blindness to glory is because people are veiled. It says in verse 3, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Because of sin and the efforts of men to worship themselves or everything other than Christ Jesus, the gospel of the light of God's glory is veiled. They're blinded through all their efforts for meaning, purpose, and experiences because they're blinded they cannot see the truth of the light of the saving grace of Jesus Christ we know that we cannot give them sight we cannot replace their heart of stone to a heart of flesh so as servants who have been given sanctuary access to the Father and his glory by the work of Christ Jesus we are to be reflecting the glory how by giving away the light of Jesus. Verse 5 of chapter 4. We do not, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. What do we need to consider? is that as God has shown in our hearts, what did he do this for? So that we could give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now this is both humbling and wonderful. First, God commanded the light to shine. We cannot do a single thing to bring life to our dead hearts. It is like when Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb. The only thing that Lazarus brought there was a dead body. Jesus spoke, and life was brought to Lazarus. God chose us and has reconciled us to God through Christ alone. As his servants bound to him through the debt we could not pay, we are to preach Christ. Because of the new heart that God has given us, we enter into his presence where he changes us and conforms us to Christ, that we may reflect his glory, that we may reflect his light to the world. Do you desire reformation and through the church being conformed to Christ that the lost souls in your 
family and community and the world will be enlightened by Christ? Is that what you desire? Do you desire that for these people you care for, that the veil be taken away? When you worship in His presence, God changes us from glory to glory. Our preaching Christ is in our words and in the way that we live our lives, thus reflecting the glory of Christ. So that when others see the good works that are flowing from God's saving grace, that they will glorify our Father in heaven. The world is transformed by the knowledge of the glory of God, by His reflecting His glory by repentance and living out forgiveness to others. We cannot be glory bearers unless we enter His presence as His people. So, we must worship together so we reflect God's glory. Remember, we are the temple, living stones. We will be transformed from glory to glory. It seems like when we come together and worship, nothing of note is happening. How is the world transformed and the gates of hell assaulted? It seems like maybe it's just a little tap, tap, tap on the door of a church. When the church is reformed by reflecting God's glory, we will see the promises of Isaiah 11 and Habakkuk 2 be fulfilled that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let us pray. Father, let us behold your glory in one another with thanksgiving. Let us cherish one another and commit to the work of your Spirit to transform us from glory to glory, that we might shine the glory of your light, that the world may come to the knowledge of your glory. And with thanksgiving and praise to your Son, our Savior, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.